I want to read this story. The story itself needs to be locked in our, our, our worshiping spirits and our hearts today. It's a beautiful, beautiful story, and those of you who are watching on television will eventually have it on the screen. We're not going to put it on the screen right now because we want to read this responsively. It's from, if you're, you're watching or listening right now, uh, Matthew chapter 14, if you'd like to look it up, Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. And we'll be reading the story today from the New Living Translation, a very fresh and dynamic translation that I got a hold of just a few weeks ago. Let's read this responsively. I'll read it all the way through, but you'll see the portions that are designated for you. Powerful, powerful story. I'm about right on King Jesus. Here comes Jesus walking as it were. Watch this. Walking indeed on the water about three o'clock in the morning Jesus came to them walking on the water when the disciples saw him they screamed in terror thinking he was a ghost but Jesus spoke to them at once it's all right he said I am here don't be afraid then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you by walking on water. All right, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Hallelujah. But when he looked around at the high waves, he was terrified and began to sink, and inadvertently, inadvertently, the most significant line of the story got left out. Because the next words are not what you were about to read. The next words are, and he shouted, Save me, Jesus. As an aside, since that omission becomes apparent to us. I must tell you that a little, a, a little classic on the life of Christ called Desire of Ages declares that no sinner ever cries those words that got left out of our bulletin, those words, save me, Jesus. No sinner ever cries out those words, but that he is, she is not instantly the recipient of Christ's saving arm. Isn't that something? You will never pray that prayer. It occurs to me that there is a person here today, somebody perhaps watching on television right now, who is faced with the awful sense that he is lost, that she is going down and she may never come up again. I want to tell you something, whoever you are, I'll call you brother, I'll call you sister, whoever you are, if you're going down right now in a storm of guilt, call the very words of Peter, save me Jesus, and you, I promise, you will be saved. I hate to get to the punchline so early in the sermon. 
But sometimes omissions remind us of what we must never forget. So he cries out, Save me, Lord! And now you can join me. Instantly, Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed him. You don't have much faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, dripping wet, Peter, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. Oh, holy Christ, you really are the Son of God. Raw faith, raw fear. In a single story, we are confronted with both. And oh, Jesus, raw fear. There isn't a heart here that does not know the meaning of that twist in the stomach, that clenched fist in the chest. But oh, God, for our raw fear, if only we might find your raw faith. And so we dare to go back to that story. Please, in the story, through these moments, birth in us, Beside our fears, birth in us a new raw faith. We pray in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Master. Amen. Amen. You know what? I know, I know just exactly how Peter felt. Raw fear. I had an experience this summer that I will never forget for as long as I live. Out on Lake Michigan, and I must tell the story to you simply because it's my humble way of identifying with the cold panic that can bring a heart to a frozen stop. It happened on July 1. My sabbatical, I took the month of July off for a study sabbatical, and it began on July 1, but July 1 was a Sunday. Don't study on a Sunday. It was a beautiful Sunday, and I, I had a hankering to go sailing. I love to go sailing. Thanks to the kindness of some friends of ours a few years ago who gave us a 22-foot venture sailboat, we love sailing in our family now, and I knew immediately when I got the boat what its name was, what her name was to be. Visitation. I love the name visitation. It has an apocalyptic ring to it, doesn't it? Visitation. And it's also very handy when people call the church office in the summer and ask for the pastor, and my secretary can say, you know, he's not in right now. He's out on visitation. <laughs> so this was July 1, and of course, I didn't have to be out anywhere on July 1. It was a glorious summer Sunday, but alas, no wind. I'm looking around at our little house here in Berrien Springs, the trees that surround us, no wind. Until the afternoon. And in the afternoon, I began to notice a vigorous movement in the trees about our house. They began to wave and shake. And I said, hallelujah, there can be sailing today. So I called up my young friend Lawrence Byrne, who happens to be one of our campus chaplains and who was before you this morning. And I said, Lawrence, my man, it is your lucky day. Let us go sailing. 
He said, Dwight, give me 10 minutes to find a babysitter. It took him about 30. He found a babysitter. I'm getting impatient. It's 2.30 in the afternoon. I don't like to start this late. Got to get sailing in. But we finally got away. We, glorious, sunny day, not a cloud in the sky, and the wind was stiff. We drove to the public launch in, uh, b- between Benton Harbor and St. Joseph on the river, and I said, man, I can't believe this, Lawrence. There isn't a trader, boat trader in sight. Where is everybody? They are missing a great day. I said, Lawrence, we got the lake to ourselves. Hallelujah. Clue one, we missed it. Clue two, the sheriff was in his boat at the public launch. And so Lawrence says, Dwight, just to be safe, why don't we ask the sheriff what's happening out there? Okay, if you want. So we went down. We said, Sheriff, how is it on the lake? And he said, why do you think I'm in here? (laughs) Went straight over my head. I said, I know why you're in here, because you have a motorboat. I have a sailboat. This is the best weather for sailboats. Clue number three, he asked me, do you have a marine radio? I thought he wanted to know if I had a license for it. So I said, no, but I have a cell phone. He said, good. We didn't realize till later why he was asking. In case you need help, can you call back to shore? We're, we're launching the boat now in the water, and i got to tell you that I've, I said, Lawrence, this is, this is a great day. I have never seen the river with white caps on it. I have never in all my life seen the river, the St. Joseph River with whitecaps. I said, Lawrence, this, this is our day. We got out. The wind was so stiff. We went through a little place called Pier 33 in Marina. It was so stiff that I could not keep the boat going straight. 22 feet long. I have a little six-horsepower Evan room behind me. But I said, Lawrence, let's lower the keel. It, this boat just really is having a hard time going into the wind. We went through the wind. To make a long story longer, we got out to the, to the jetty of Tuscordia. You know the jetty of Tuscordia? Tuscordia, you go out there all the time, don't you? Freshman, you're going to love Tuscordia Beach. It's a big jetty, huge lighthouse, two of them at the end of the jetty. As we come around the bridge, the bridge had been closed for a train. Turns out they were just changing the guard. They finally opened the bridge. We chug, chug, chug. There's not, Lord, there's not a boat out here. We are so lucky. We went right into the jetty, and then for the first time, once the bridge was open, I saw the waves against the side of the jetty, and they're going all the way up to the top of the jetty. I said, Lawrence, don't worry. I have been out here when the waves have gone to the top of the jetty, and I tell you, it is excellent sailing then just beyond the jetty. So we go out, and we're going up and down, and then I look to the end of the jetty, and I see the two lighthouses, the big one at the end, and for the first time I see what's happening. The waves are hitting and are breaking over the top of the lighthouse. Lawrence told me later, he said, Dwight, when you looked at that lighthouse, then I knew you were bluffing. (laughs) It was the first sign of worry I saw in your face. I said, Lawrence, let's just put our our life vests on just to be safe. (laughs) So we both put on our life vests, tied them around. I said, now, Lawrence, don't stand up. Just stay down. The jetty has six-foot swells in it, and they're getting bigger as we go out, and we finally hit a wave. I'm not used to this in the jetty. We hit a wave that crashes over the 22-foot boat to where we're both sitting, and we are soaked, and it's cold water. It's 70 degrees air temperature, 50-something water temperature. And so I throw my hat off of my dark glasses because I'm starting to feel like I'm going to panic. 
and I have to be able to see what's coming. And I said, Lawrence, just stay down. And when we got, I, I had the witness here, when we got to the end of the jetty, in all of my life of sailing, and I love sailing, and I am not afraid of sailing, I somehow have no fear of sailing. I can't jump out of plane, I can't do other dumb things you do, but I love sailing. And I'll go out in any kind of weather. But when we got to the end of the jetty and now could see what Lake Michigan was offering, we came up to the top of that first, cr first crest. I'm telling you the truth. A cold freeze shot through my veins. And for one second, no, for 30 seconds, I, I just panicked. I, 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 this close to panic. Panic would have, been, would have been, I throw my hands up and said, Lawrence, shake hands, goodbye. That would have been panic. One step short. I did not know what to do. What do we do now? Oh, when Peter comes to that moment. Let's put that text up on the screen. When Peter comes to that moment, and in that 3 a.m. monster of a storm that has whipped up Galilee into a roiling, broiling sea cauldron, and Peter, when he looked around at the high waves, he was terrified, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Save me, Jesus. Save me, Lord. I know exactly how Peter felt. We were fools. We went out into this raging, and I, I mean raging. We tried to turn the boat around south of the jetty. A sailor knows never get your boat sideways to, to, to raging waves because if you go sideways, we went sideways. It lifted our boat up and just dropped us down. 30-foot mass, slapped the water. Fortunately, our sails are not up. And instinctively, we both leaped backwards to try to... That little six-horsepower engine, whee, just screaming because it's out of water now. We turned the boat back. I said, Lawrence, let's just start praying. And I'm telling you the truth, I was praying out loud, angel, part the waters, please. I've I have never felt panic and fear that deep. I mean, it was fear to its icy core. I know how Peter felt. We got one, one shot to get around those rocks. If we're thrown into the rocks, it's over. God be praised. When we went back out into the brown Himalayas and went down, by the way, I asked Lawrence afterwards. I said, Lawrence, I'm an evangelist. You tell me, how tall were those waves? <laughs> he said, Dwight, I'm telling you the truth. Those waves were 15 feet tall. They were. They were. When we shot down into that valley, if we don't get in this time, it's over. I don't care how close the Coast Guard are. That valley was just a few yards longer. And yanking the tiller in the engine, the boat shot. The wave came and threw us back into the jetty where the waves are now only six feet. And we are so giddy with adrenaline and relief. We are just laughing silly. <laughs> we knew how close we had come. There was only one person on the entire jetty. He must have been there. We were too concentrated on the rage ahead. He must have been there when we went out. And I know what he was thinking. Those fools. They will never come back again. When we came back, he was still standing there. And he was just going like this. And we were going. I know how Peter felt. Raw faith, raw fear, 
It's all broiled into one panicky moment in the story in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 14. That story is our reflection on this day in which we welcome freshmen, students who have hurried to come back in advance of the new week as we gather one last Sabbath before the new year is launched. Matthew chapter 14, I want to go there with you because you will never walk on water until you learn that you will have to live with both raw faith and raw fear. I wish I could tell you today there will be no fear in your life now that you're here on this campus. Fear, because it's a Christian institution, your fears will be gone. I'm telling you, you will live with fear. I know the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear, but it only casts out fear when fear is there. Fear comes into a Christian's heart. Then you remember you remember Jesus, but fear, raw fear and raw faith cannot, cannot be un... cannot be taken apart. That's a good word for it right there. Okay, turn to that windblown fury here in Matthew chapter 14. We read it just a moment ago. I want to go back through it because it's important that the story, story be lodged in our minds. Verse 25, about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the water. Now, last week, God called an audible right up here, and we, we, we were going to start right here, but God said, no, 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 you, you, you missed the point, boy. The story actually begins in the preceding verses when Jesus goes up into the mountain to pray all alone while the disciples are on the water. Jesus prayed all night long. You see, if you want raw faith, you better go to the introduction to the story. You get raw faith through prayer. You don't get it by riding a boat. You get raw faith through prayer. Jesus, how many times in his life prior to this has Jesus himself walked on water? Ladies and gentlemen, you tell me. How many times? Not a once. Not once. He has no record. There's no Old Testament story that says, oh, this is how you walk on water. Nobody has ever done it. And when Jesus was born, an angel did not whisper in his ear, by the way, when you're 31, 32, you will walk on water. Just remember that, boy. He does not know because you know why? Jesus has to learn raw faith the same way you and I do. Some people are troubled by that. You mean Christ had to grow? Yeah, he had to grow. Read Hebrews 5 where it declares, he learned, the son learned obedience and submission. He had to learn obedience. He had to learn faith. He wasn't just born with faith. He had to learn it. He doesn't know he's going to walk on water. Now, it's true in his praying, God might have said, you know, Jesus, you've got to get to those boys. They're in trouble. I've distracted them because they need to focus on you. Go to them now. Father, how shall I go? Well, walk. All right, I'll walk. Of course it took raw faith. But the faith always comes from prayer. Prayer with your Father. Never forget that. Now the story starts about 3 o'clock in the morning. Jesus came to them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him, they screamed in terror, thinking he was a ghost. Phantasma in the Greek. A phantom. Some kind of shimmering apparition. Was it green? Was it yellow? Was it blue? Was it white? We don't know, but it's a glow, an eerie glow. And the disciples are absolutely convinced it is the omen of their impending demise. And it's just moving closer and closer. And they scream. They scream out. But, oh, I love this. Jesus spoke to them at once. And by the way, he didn't just say, hey, hey. It's raging fury, wind and waves. We know the sound of broiling, roiling waves. It's noisy. He has to call out to them, but oh, look at this. Jesus spoke to them at once. It's all right. Hey, it's all right. I am here. In the Greek, it's just two words. I am. I am. Not I was. Not I will be. I am. 
When you're going through life and you think that storm is going to take you down, that's exactly what he says to you. I am right beside you. The great I am, I am with you now. I am. Don't be afraid. And the wind just sucks the voice away. And then Peter, talking about giddy after raw fear, because he's been through the fear. He's getting ready for the faith now. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you by walking on water. He is so giddy. But you know what? Let's not be hard on Peter. They were, as John Ortberg, in a book I'll tell you about in just a moment, as John Ortberg says, there are 11 boat potatoes in that boat. Only one had the guts to call out, if that's you, Jesus, say the word, and I'll come walking on the water to you. And Jesus calls out, all right, come. I imagine Jesus was smiling, thinking to himself, I knew it'd be Peter. I knew it'd be Peter. And so Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on water toward Jesus. That's raw faith. But when, oh, but when he looked around at the high waves, he was terrified. And he began to sink. His raw faith is gone and it's now been replaced with raw fear. Save me, Lord, he shouted instantly. I love that. Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed him. Now, Jesus isn't whispering to Peter. He's got to hear him. You don't have much faith. He said, why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind is gone. And then, verse 33, the disciples worshipped him. You, you really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. Which is why John Ortberg wrote this wonderfully inspiring new book of his. Get a camera here on it. There it is. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. The whole book is based on that single incident of Jesus' appearance. The whole book. And in fact, the book is marvelously, brilliantly capsulated in a solitary line, and the solitary line is the title. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the book. I introduced, introduced this book. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I want to tell you something. That's exactly true. Sometimes in this university, we get so buried in our books <laughs> that we forget to get out of the books and to walk on water. I shared last week how this book has, it really was a God catalyst for me this summer and how God began to do some things in my mind and heart. Incidentally, I found this book the day after we nearly drowned on Lake Michigan. I saw it at our university bookstore. I said, God, you got a sense of humor. You're trying to get me to read this, aren't you? So I read the book at the beginning of my sabbatical. The book has had a profound impression on me, made, made that kind of an impression. And when you juxtapose it with some experiences and some thought processes that, hap that have happened to me over the summer, I have realized that 
you know what, God, you really do need to be at work in my life. God has started to work on my faith. I should say, God, God has started to work, actually, on my lack of faith. I have been confronted and convicted. Raw faith. Boy, where's raw faith in your life? And the more I've pondered and the more I have prayed, the more I've begun to wonder, could it be that my life is driven more by its fears than its faith? How else can you explain why I've become so comfortable in the boat I'm in? I never get out of the boat now. I love this boat. I think I'll make it a home. Raw faith more than Raw fear, or for me, is it raw fear more than raw faith? I'm struggling. When was the last time I got out of the boat? And by the way, since we're being real personal, when was the last time you got out of the boat? Hmm? Now, John Ortberg in his book and Matthew in his story, neither one is, is trying to make champion some sort of spiritual adrenaline high and rush. And, oh, man, you've got to live on adrenaline. No, 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 no. In fact, Ortberg makes this point, and it's a very good point, and I want to put Ortberg's words up on the screen here. Matthew is not glorifying risk-taking for its own sake. Jesus is not looking for bungee-jumping, hang-gliding, day-trading, tornado-chasing, pinto-drivers. I like that line. Water-walking is not something Peter does for recreational purposes. This is not a story about extreme sports. It is about extreme discipleship. Our theme this year... That means that before Peter gets out of the boat, he had better make sure that it's a good idea. This is not glorifying, cocky, risk-taking Christianity. Not at all. Peter, I remind you, gets permission for it first. What does he cry out there in that verse? He says, hey, Lord, if that is really you, you command me to come. And Jesus says, all right, I give you the command, you come. You come. Peter waits for the command. But I will tell you that it is in obedience to the command of Christ that Peter walks on water. Christ commanded him to walk on water. Christ commands his followers to extreme discipleship. You see, it is the great truth about life and living. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. So whether you are a freshman, hallelujah for all you who stood, whether you are an incoming new student, whether you are an old salt who has been riding the high seas of life for decades, for all of us, it does not matter. This story, we are confronted in it with the compelling call of Christ to extreme discipleship. As John Ortberg puts it, around here we will call it raw faith for the next few weeks. Raw faith. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? When was the last time you and I exercised raw faith? Anybody here been walking on water lately, huh? Put your hand up. You been walking on water lately? How about another hand? Anybody here want to exercise raw faith and want to walk on water? Oh, I put my hand, shoot my hand up to Jesus. I sense my inadequacy. I sense my tepid, timid faith. And I hear Jesus saying, boy, this is the time in your journey, all of you there, that we need to get serious about this faith business. Raw faith. No other way. Bold, boat-exiting faith, the raw faith of extreme discipleship. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what I want to do now with the few moments we have left is I want to share with you four people. I met three men, 
One woman this summer, I have learned from four people who have taught me that raw faith is not an ancient history reality. You can have it in the third millennium. I'm going to tell you their stories right now. Before I tell you their stories, I tell you what, the, la the last story is going to knock your socks off. The last one. Before I tell you their story, I want to share with you their secret. This is the secret to the stories you are about to hear. They believe the promise of Jesus. They're believers. They believe the promise of Christ. You say, what promise are you talking about? You know what? When a man is about to die, he knows that it will be curtains tomorrow. When you're on death row, you do not fill the air with fluff and flutter and fill. You choose every word carefully, knowing that your impending last breath is nigh. Jesus knows he'll be dead tomorrow at this time. And so in the upper room, I want you to write them down. I want you to count them. Six times he makes a single promise. Six times. Jot them down. Raw faith. Six times he promises you. Let's go to the Gospel of St. John. That's the only place we can find this extended upper room conversation. John chapter 14. I want to share these with you. Write them down. That way you leave here. You have, you have the grist for raw faith in Christ. All right, John 14. This is in the New Living, of course. This is verse 12. The truth is, Jesus, red letter, see? If it's, this is Jesus speaking up a room. The truth is, Jesus says, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask, here it comes now, promise number one, you can ask for anything in my name and what, ladies and gentlemen, what? I will do it. Anything. He said, oh, by the way, I don't really mean anything. I mean only this. No, there's no qualification to the petition. Ask for anything in my name and I will do it because the work of the Son brings glory to the Father. I kind of hope that that's what you'll be wanting, is to bring glory to the Father, of course. He says, that's what I hope. Now, here comes same passage, promise number two. Yes, ask anything in my name, and I will do it. Anything. No conditions as to what you can ask for. Anything in my name. All right, chapter 15, verse 7. Take a look at this one. I hope you're jotting these down. Chapter 15, verse 7. But if you stay joined to me, the old King James said, abide in me. If you stay joined to me and my words remain in you, you may make any request you like and it will be granted. Anything. Do you hear me, he says in the upper... Do, do you hear me? Anything. You ask and it will be granted to you. Raw faith. All right, there's another one. The same chapter. This is uh, chapter 15, verse 16. I'm choosing not to mark up this new Bible. I said, boy, you're going to have to learn how to memorize text. No cues. Just take the Bible as it is. Okay? So there are little pauses here. Verse 16 of chapter 15. Jesus says, you didn't choose me later that evening. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Ladies and gentlemen, you've had four of them already. Here comes the last passage in which there will be two. Chapter 16. Chapter 16, drop down to verse 23. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. The truth is, I love this, you can go directly to the Father and ask Him, and He will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. Six times in that same upper room, he says, ask me, ask me, ask me, ask me. 
And as if to make the seventh complete, he says in John 14, verse 1, you believe in God, believe in me. Trust me. Ask me. Ask me. Did you jot him down? Seven promises of raw faith for extreme discipleship, for extreme disciples. Seven, six of them, ask, ask, ask. All right. Ask. Now, the question that begs, and then I want to tell you the stories, and I'll sit down. The question that begs to be asked is, when are you and I really going to believe Jesus' promise of raw faith that if we ask anything in his name, we will receive. You know what? We've got this little game we play in our minds. I know there are, hundred, there, there, there are a thousand conditions. Well, you're right, to the glory of God. To the glory of God. So if I want to ask something that is going to be sin, if I'm asking something that would be sin, that would conflict with the glory of God, God, I've got to have this, and it's sin, will God give that to me? No. No, it has to be to the glory of God. It has to be to the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want that to be clear. All right, three men, one woman. We'll save the woman to last. The best story. I want to tell you the stories. Man number one, his name is David Gates. Who is he? He is an American missionary airplane pilot. David Gates. I mentioned this last Sabbath. I flew out to Walla Walla College this summer to, for a camp meeting at Upper Columbia. It's the, it's the, uh, the uh, eastern half of the Washington State. There at Walla Walla College, I see David Gates. I've known David Gates. I've had emails from David Gates. I now meet him for the first time. He takes about 40 minutes during Sabbath school that morning, and he tells stories like I have never heard before. And God is beginning to say, hey, come on, come on. What do you think? This guy's an American. He's first world. Raw faith. David Gates, by the way, I knew David Gates from Net 98. You remember Net 98 here? David Gates who showed Net 98 down in, in Georgetown, Guyana. He showed it down there on a television station. And while it was being shown, he realized the power of television for that city. And one day he was praying, God, I wish you would please give me a television station to use for your glory. After Net 98 was over, David got a call from a husband and a wife who said, come to our house. He went to their house. He sat down. They said, We're, we have been watching Net 98. We're impressed with what you've got. We own the television station. We'd like to give it to you. Would you like to have it? Ask me, ask me anything you want for the glory of God and I will give it to you. David Gates, who told a story there, he didn't tell that, yeah, he did tell the TV station story. He told a story about, because he operates like George Mueller. George, remember George Mueller, the, 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 the great uh, German Englishman who uh, said, I won't ever ask for money. I will operate only as God gives it. I will pray for, for funding for my orphanages. You remember George Mueller? He prayed the same way. He says, God, this little aviation ministry we got going down here in Guyana, I'm going to make it totally dependent on you. I'm not even going to take a salary from ADRA. I'm going to make it totally dependent on you. One month, he opened up his briefcase, counted the money in the envelope left to his mission agency. There was not enough money for a major bill that was due the next day at 10 o'clock. He went to his knees and said, God, I beg of you, we have to have money. This is your mission. You said go into the world. I'm going into the world. You must honor now that I have obeyed your command. We don't have the money. He went to bed. He woke up in the morning. He's, the first thing on his mind is, I've got to have money by 10. He goes back to his knees, and he's pleading with God, I need that money. And a voice says to him, go count your money. He said, I'm not going to count my money. I just counted it before going to bed last night. He kept pleading with God. The voice says, go count your money. He said, I'm not going to do it. The voice says, go count your money. He gets off his knees, goes to his briefcase, opens it up. 
He counts the money, and in that envelope now are the exact number of dollars he needed to make the payment at 10 o'clock that morning. While he's asleep, in raw faith, somebody came into his briefcase and put the money there. Don't you limit God. We got a huge God. David Gates. Dave sent me an email once. I love this. Let me put this on the screen. S.D. Gordon's words. You can do more than pray after you have prayed. I have this kept in my Bible. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Prayer is how raw faith is birthed. We saw it in Jesus. Oh, by the way, David has another one here. Desire of Ages. Right below it on the same little snippet in my Bible. As act, this is Desire of Ages 362. As activity increases... And men and women become successful in doing any work for God. There is a danger of trusting to human plans and methods. There is a tendency to pray less and to have less faith. I mean, hey, we got to go in here on this campus. We got to go in this congregation. Just keep the well-oiled machine moving. Nope, God says, I'm going to show you you don't have it going. Let me show you you really need me. Yeah, He does that. He does it. It, with our businesses, doesn't he, Garrett? He does it with our businesses as well. Like the disciples, we are in danger of losing sight of our dependence on God and seeking to make a savior of our activity. We need to look constantly to Jesus, realizing that it is his power which does the work. David Gates. You see, David believes the promise. Let's put it on the screen. John 14, 14. He believes it's true. Jesus said, yes, ask anything in my name and I will do it. I can even fill an envelope overnight. Talking about FedEx overnight. What's the point? Ah, oh, the point is clear. If you want to walk on water... You have got to get out of the boat. Raw faith means getting out of the boat as you have always lived life with the kind of security that you're used to. Get out of the boat. Put God on the line this new school year. Raw faith and see what God will do. Oh, I got a story coming up. The last one about a student. Raw faith. But I want to tell you about man number two. Man number two, his name is Danny Shelton. He is the president of 3ABN Global Satellite Ministries. Earlier this month, I flew down to West Frankfurt, Illinois, and I sat down and listened for three hours and 15 minutes for this man tell story after story. You see, he believes the promises. He told a story. He said, Dwight, this happened just in March, okay? That's just a few months ago. He said, I got a letter from a woman up in Canada who has been watching with her husband our, our satellite network. She's not a member of any church, but she's been watching and watching and watching. And I got a letter from her, and she said, Oh, Mr. Shelton, thank you so much for the programming in, uh, in, on, on your uh, network. I have learned as a result of watching your station about the truth of the Seventh-day Sabbath. I'm amazed, she said. God wants me to honor him by celebrating the seventh day of the week. Can you help me? She writes to him. He was so busy that day, he put the letter down and forgot all about it. Eight weeks later, he, it's a Monday night, and he has to go into his office, and so he goes to his office desk, and he opens up the drawer of his office desk, and right there in front of him is the letter that that woman wrote him, and just a, a blush just goes all over him. He says, I can't believe it. I... This woman was reaching out for help. She, I should have contacted her eight weeks ago. What am I going to do? I can't write her now. now. 
He calls directory assistance. Get me Ontario. He gets the number of this home. He calls the phone number. A little girl answers the phone and he says, yes, ma'am. He says, this is Danny Shelton of 3ABN. She said, Danny Shelton on the television? I said, he said, yes, it's Danny Shelton of 3ABN. I need to talk to your mom or dad. The little girl said, well, you know what? Mom and dad went into the bedroom a while ago and they said not to interrupt them because they were doing something very important. <laughs> Danny said, you know what, little girl? They are absolutely right. Do not interrupt them. Just tell them. Tell your mother I got her letter. Tell her I called. And the little girl instantly drops the phone, clang, clank, and all you can hear is the clanking. And she goes running off to tell them. And when she yells through the closed bedroom door, Danny Shelton's on the phone, there is a scream. <laughs> Danny's trying to listen to what is going on there. And pretty soon, he hears the sounds of footsteps coming near. Phone gets up, it's a male voice. Yes, this is Frank, whatever his name was. May I help, very formal, may I help you? And Danny says, yes. This is Danny Shelton from 3ABN. Danny Shelton? And the guy says, honey, it's Danny Shelton. And there is another scream in the distance. <laughs> the phone goes back down. Danny's saying, what is going on? And here it comes, another set of footprints, a little lighter now. And she picks up the phone, and she's very formal. She says, yes, this is him. May I help you? And Danny says, yeah, this is Danny Shelton from 3ABN. She screams into the phone. <laughs> Danny says, what is going on? Listen to this, folks. That very night at supper, the family made the decision to join a charismatic church. Then heard, I know about the Sabbath. I know. And finally, one of them said to the other, why don't we just go and pray one more time before we make any decision? So they said, honey, we're going to be in the bedroom don't interrupt us, all right? They went into that bedroom and they knelt down beside their bed and the wife prayed, short prayer. The husband prayed, short prayer. They looked at each other and they said, but that didn't help. What shall we do? Oh, you know, if, 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 the husband said, you know what? If Danny Shelton would call us right now, we could know what the will of God is if he would call us right now. Hence the three screams. <laughs> Folks, I got other stories from Danny, but I wanted to share that story from him about a husband and a wife. No big people. Don't own any television station. Don't fly a missionary plane. Do nothing but want to follow Jesus. The raw faith of a husband and wife in Canada. And God honored that. And eight weeks later, made sure the night they made the decision that Danny called them. You see, Danny... He can tell you stories like this for hours. Danny believes John 14, verse 14. Yes, ask anything in my name. Anything. I will bless this ministry. I will bless your station. I will save the world through you. You see, it's true. If you want to walk on water, you have got to get out of the boat. Two more stories. 
I want to tell you about man number three. His name is Harry Mahondo, arguably the greatest evangelist to the third world alive today. Just last August, a year ago, he received his doctorate from here at Andrews University. My friend Harry. Harry, who a few months ago in Kenya, I met a gentleman today from Kenya standing at the door. We have students from Kenya. A few months ago in Kenya, he, be, he, he was conducting a citywide crusade. It began small, but by the end of the six weeks, 300,000 people a night were coming to hear this spirit-anointed preacher. We're bringing that preacher to this campus eight weeks from last night. Eight weeks from last night, October 12. You say, Dwight, why are you doing that? I'll tell you why I'm doing it. Because I know Harry Mahondo. He's a friend of mine. He's been a prayer partner for years. And I have seen the Spirit of Christ anoint that man. Yeah, Harry was here a few weeks ago. And Harry, oh boy, did he get the place a buzz when Harry announced that he believed that there are thousands of people within driving distance of this campus that God longs to save. Now, I know you wouldn't react this way, but there were some people that said, <laughs> Logs that God, come please, there is no way God can save all the people who are within driving distance of our campus. Oh, ye of little faith. They say, Dwight, don't give me this faith stuff. We're realists. Okay, go ahead. Be a realist. I've been a realist all my life, and I sense that there's something keeping me in the boat instead of walking on water. It's time for realism to give way to raw faith. You say, ah, oh, Dwight, we are such an educated audience. We know what's best for God. You know what Harry pleads? Did you see this in your bulletin today? Come on, freshman. It's one for you, too. In the bulletin today. Harry, he had only one appeal to us. He says, guys, I ask you one thing. Pray for five lost human beings night and day till I come. Pray for five. Raw faith. Pray, believing that God could save five lost people. Pray, 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 pray. Pray, pray. Harry's going to be here in eight weeks. You know what? Harry believes so much in raw faith. This is, going to, this is going to really shock some of the saints. On Wednesday nights and Saturday nights for six weeks, on Wednesday nights and Saturday nights, we're going to have raw faith prayer services right here for healing. Wherever Harry has gone, God has anointed that raw faith. He says, I'm coming to you. God says... I'm coming to you. Andrews, you get a chance to believe. Start praying now. By the way, we have a house of prayer service. Every Wednesday night from here to here it comes, we're praying raw faith prayers. Freshmen, Wednesday nights, 7 to 7.45, just 45 minutes long, you come to this building, a house of prayer for all people. You come here, we'll pray together. We pray, nothing but pray. A little bit of singing, then it's all pray. Raw faith. You see, Harry believed Jesus' promise in John 14, verse 14. Yes, ask anything in my name and I will do it because if you want to walk on water, you have got to get out of the boat of the way you've been living your life in faith. All right, story number four, final story, the best story of all. I've saved it to the end. This summer, having family worships, 
We've been reading out of this faith-inspiring devotional book for college students called More College Faith, edited by our own Ron Nutt. Okay? So we're reading this. We came this one, one evening this summer, having family worship. We came to a story that was, the story just brought tears to my eyes. I said, oh, God, do you work this gloriously, this supernaturally? Do you really do it in America with students? I want to close by letting her tell her story in her own words. Who is she? Her name is Lucille C. Lacey. She is associate professor of music at Oakwood College. Listen to her testimony that we close with today. Entitled, Professor X and the Library Book Drop. Here we go. When I was a teenager, a high school teacher told me that I would never be a success in my life and that I'd be a detriment to society. It was the first time anyone had made such a sweeping negative evaluation of my potential, and I was devastated. I want to say something to the parents who are here. Be careful what you say. I know this was a teacher. Uh, the teacher's already got the point. Parents, parents, what you say to your children goes on a hard disk that does not erase. Be careful what you say. They're listening and believing what you say. She said, I've never been so devastated in my life. Listen to this. After completing a master's degree in music teacher education from George Peabody College for Teachers, well, so much for that prophecy long ago, I taught college for several years. Then I prayed, Lord, if it is your will for me to pursue the doctorate degree, prepare the way. Unexpectedly, I was awarded a United Negro College Fund teaching grant for $10,000 renewable annually. This seemed to me a notable honor for one who had been told by a professional educator that I had no future. Good for you. I wanted to get my doctoral degree from Ohio State University. From a pool of 400 applicants, I was one of the 10 accepted into the program. Soon I met Professor X, who told me that as a Seventh-day Adventist, I had no chance of succeeding as a doctoral student at OSU. The graduate music program was impossible to complete while missing the Friday night and Saturday sessions. Girl, you might as well just drop out. You can't succeed. He said I should either attend the classes as required or withdraw from the program. I left his office determined to complete the program and keep the Sabbath. Good for you. One Friday afternoon at the end of one semester, Professor X gave the class an almost impossible take-home final examination. It was due the following Monday and would require exhaustive research in the library all weekend. Two hours before sunset on Friday, I closed up all my studies and prepared for the Sabbath. Good for you. Saturday evening, some of my classmates called to wish me success, good luck. They had spent all Friday evening and all day Saturday in the library and were far from finished. By Sunday evening, after 10 hours of research, I had answered three of the exam's 10 questions. I stopped and communed with God for one hour. What is this? 
What is this? I have only an hour. I can't give up this hour. I stopped and communed with God, students. I stopped and communed with God for one hour. You know what it's called? Raw faith. That's what it's called. Then one hour, now listen, one hour before the library closed, I was impressed to walk down the stacks, praying silently with tears running down my cheeks. I felt nothing but despair when suddenly, in front of me, a book dropped from the shelf and fell open to a page of information I needed. I quickly picked up the book and continued to walk down the aisle when another book fell from the shelf. <laughs> Books began falling high and low, faster and faster, and each book was open to an exact answer. I grabbed a cart and moved quickly down the aisle, picking up my books. The library, the library assistants heard the sounds of the books falling from the shelves and asked if I knew who was throwing the books. <laughs> I just smiled through my tears, rejoiced in the Lord, and kept on picking up those books. By the way, I was the only student in the class who completed the entire examination. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Professor X was shocked. Oh, folks, what's it, what, do you, what do you call that? You call it raw faith. Don't you dare try it. Don't you dare try it in the James Y. Library unless you first studied. Because it's closed on Sabbath. Raw faith. In whom? In God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Raw faith. Apparently it works in America. Apparently it works with a student on a campus somewhere. And if it can work at OSU, I believe it can work at old AU just as well. Raw faith. Raw faith. The time has come for raw faith. For Jesus said, Yes, ask anything in my name. And I will do it, because it's true. You will never walk on water, never, unless you get out of the boat. Is there a freshman here today who is willing to go on the line with your new pastor and say, oh, Jesus, you've got to give me that raw faith. Start it out now. Start it right now. Is there a freshman here? I would like to go on record at this moment and say, Holy Christ, by your grace, I want that raw faith. Do whatever it takes. Teach me. Teach me. There's a freshman here. I wish you freshman. A freshman, there's one here. Just stand with me. A freshman who wants raw faith. I want raw faith. Stand with me for, if you're a freshman. I want raw faith. I want raw faith. I look at this freshman class, and I had an opportunity to see this class on Monday, and I say to myself, Thank you, Jesus. You have brought some, you have brought, you have brought new leaders. 
to this campus. And I'm saying if you will embrace, Dana, if you will embrace Christ in raw faith, Jesus will turn through the freshman class. Jesus can turn this campus upside down for his kingdom. You're a leader. Don't you let anybody tell you you're not a leader. You are a leader. I know you got a collection of butterflies, a box full in your stomach. It's okay. Raw fear, psh, raw faith, raw faith. Is there anybody else in this auditorium today, in this sanctuary, that wants to join those of us who are standing and saying, you know, holy Christ, by your grace, I want the gift of raw faith. I want the gift. I want the gift of raw faith. You have asked. You receive. You seek, you find, you knock, it will be open to you. His faith is yours. Let us pray. Oh God, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses of faith as we have been today, we too stand looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We stand, Holy Father, in desperate but confident need of the raw faith you have promised. Not faith in us, not faith in faith, but faith in you through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so for these freshmen, holy God, seal this moment. Don't let that young man, don't let that young woman, don't let her, him get far from the memory of this moment when the Choice was made publicly for the gift of faith that will be raw and bold, a faith that will get out of the boat and walk on water this year for you. And Holy Father, we stand with them, for we long for that same faith. It's time to shift the paradigm around this campus and around our brand of Christianity. It's time for raw faith. We see now that it is third millennial, it is American, and it is right. Granted to us, we pray, as we walk toward the same Lord Jesus as Peter did. In the name of Christ, we praise you as we prepare to begin this journey. Amen. Eternal Father, we're so thankful for this message today. May it burn into our minds and our souls. May it bathe our minds with the power that you have if we just act upon it. As we approach our evangelistic meetings, Lord, may each of us hold this message dear to our hearts so that we may indeed get out of the boat and do something remarkable for you in your strength. We ask it in your holy name. Amen.